welcome to the Bible Feed podcast. I'm Dan Weatherall, and today we are going to continue a bit of a series that we've been doing. Last episode, we were continuing our di- discovery of what the terms the devil and Satan mean, and uh, we're going to continue that today. And I've got Paul here with me again. It's almost a bit of a tangent, actually, but it's a topic that always is related to the devil and Satan. It's, it's the question of demons. So whenever you talk about the devil and Satan and try and work out what, what that is in the Bible, it, invariably, at some point, the question of demons will come up. And so we need to step to one side and consider that in this episode. So most Christian sources, most non-Christian sources even, would describe demons as some sort of malevolent supernatural being. So they are things that can cause harm to humans. They can possess you. We can have demon-possessed people and, mm. and things like that. So that kind of cuts across what we've been looking at so far. We've been considering the Bible's presentation or use of those terms devil and Satan and seen that it isn't really presenting anything like a supernatural being. Instead, it's personifying that human tendency to, to sin. And really, that's the fundamental meaning behind it. So so now we're going to consider demons and and the sort of general view or general definition of what they are seems to cut across that completely, doesn't it? Yeah, there's a tension in the two ideas. You know, we've already seen that fundamentally the Bible as it presents God is is projecting a monotheistic view of things. That, that there is one God, there is no God like him, there is no other God beside him. And those kind of phrases occur re- repeatedly. And it's really hard to get your head around what you might call a demonology, you know, a, a theology that includes a world, a universe that is populated by these malevolent beings called demons, because that fits much more into the dualistic type of worldview that we, we consider with evil spiritual beings causing bad things and good spiritual beings kind of resisting or fighting against that. And there's two heads of these two kind of competing armies or forces or whatever there's god and there's the prince of demons Mm. so you almost inevitably if you're thinking about demons as this population of supernatural beings you're almost forced into a position of creating a prince of demons that is the opposite the equal and opposite to god in some way and the last two episodes that we've done on this thinking about the terms devil and satan have really illustrated that that's not what the bible is presenting the devil and satan as it's it's presenting there's one god and it's it's using the device of personification to to portray the significant problem that is human sin, you know, and linked to that mortality and everything that goes with the mortal condition, illness, and so on. And even as we saw in the last episode, to the sort of power structures that humans build that manifest human desires and, and sinful desires, and they're linked to the terms devil and Satan. So, from a scriptural point of view. There isn't really support for a personal top demon <laughs> or devil or anti-god super supernatural mm. being. You know, by looking at the scriptures we have so far, we've sort of beheaded the the evil side of what would be a dualistic view. And we've seen only things consistent really with monotheism, a monotheistic worldview. Mm. Okay. But the thing remains though is that in the Bible, the word demons, you know, that does come mm. up, doesn't it? And quite a few times, quite a few locations, yep. really. So we need to work out what that what that really is. Maybe there's no leader, maybe there's no supernatural devil, but there are these spiritual beings, maybe they exist anyway. 
you know, without that leader, without that head. So we need to work out how we do this. You know, should we be afraid of demons? I, I think that's one question in one of the episodes. We've, we've, mm. we, by, by denying that there is a supernatural devil, are we almost tempting fate and allowing him to come and get yeah. us? And should we be worried about what they can do to us? You know, is there spiritual warfare involved in them? All those sorts of questions. How do we ward them off? How do we fight them? If they're indeed a thing. So how are we going to start yeah. and tackle this? <laughs> yeah. And very much like the word devil, which we saw only appears in the New Testament, demon is similar. It, it almost entirely is a New Testament word. And therefore, we'll be looking at a Greek word, and it's the Greek word daimonia. There's also some phrases like unclean spirits or evil okay. spirits that we yep. read about, again, particularly in the New Testament. It's perhaps worth just pointing out that if you're reading the King James Version, mm -hmm. in the New Testament, you'll come across a word that, that in the English appears as devils. It's a plural of devil. It's not a word that's related to the word for devil that we saw, which was diabolos. So when you read devils in King James Version, mm. that's this word that is usually translated now demons, demonia. And there's a real concentration of the use of the word demon in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what is really important and helpful for us to do as considering this as a biblical theme overall is to get a view of what the whole scripture yeah. perspective mm. is on on demons. So it's actually helpful to start by looking at references that are not in the Gospels. Okay, so, so let's do that. And You said it's almost entirely a New Testament word, which means that there's something in the Old Testament. Am, am I right? Sh shall we start it there? Does. Yeah, there's not much okay. in the Old Testament, but there are two that I think are really helpful to look at because they set the tone for how we should think about this concept, this word, when we get to the New Testament. So first of all, a little bit about the, the words that appear in, in the Old Testament, which is you know, primarily written in Hebrew. The original language mm -hmm. is Hebrew. So there's two words. There's se'irim, which is basically a word which means hairy and is sometimes used of, of wild goats that inhabit the desert and wild places, deserted ruins and mm. those kind of places. And in our English Bibles, there's sometimes, particularly the ESV, RSV, they're translated as goat demons. Okay. So, so you'll see demons there in our English Bible, but actually the Hebrew word underneath it is a word that just means a hairy, a hairy wild thing. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a supernatural being at all. No. It's just that. So let's leave that aside. And the other word that appears is sedim which is a word that means a sort of a, a force or vitality, a spirit of some sort. But interestingly, it can be used in both good and bad senses. So it's not like the English word demon. It's not an equivalent to that, which is pretty much just associated with bad stuff. Okay, so let's not look at that hairy wild thing, which we don't need to look at anymore at Seherim. Yeah. If I've said that right, which I don't think I have, but we're, we're, we're equally equally poor. That's in our right. Okay. Okay. Good. Maybe I am right. <laughs> Let's look at this sedim. Where does that appear? Yeah. Okay. There's two places that we should look at. The first is in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is actually an interesting chapter around this whole uh -huh. subject, and which we will come back to, I think, in in the next okay. episode. So Deuteronomy 32. If we have a look at a few verses, verse 15 to 18. So Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. 
You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Okay, thanks for that. So this is all about Israel. So it starts off, verse 15, but Jeshurun, that's that's a name that is applied to Israel, the people of Israel. And it's all about their unfaithfulness to the one God, Yahweh, and them worshipping other gods and sacrificing to other gods, and the idols and, and gods of the peoples around them. And there in verse 17, it says they sacrificed to demons that were no mm. gods. So this, these gods of the peoples around them, these idols are equated with these demons. But it makes a little comment there that were no gods. You know, they're not God. That they don't exist in the way that God exists. Yeah. And in fact, as we get towards the end of this chapter in verse thirty-seven, the argument continues. Then uh, God will say, "Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their off- drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection." See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive, I wound and heal, there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So so Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, is the only God, mm. according to that. There are these idols that the peoples around you worship, but they're not gods. They can't protect you. They're not what the people that worship them mm. think they are. They have no power. They can't protect them. They can't do anything. And so in, in ancient Israel... The word demon in that context is is associated with the gods of the peoples around them. Yeah, okay. So it's equating them with idols. Idolatry comes up so much, doesn't it, in, in the Old Testament. Mm. And the gods represented by the idols are, are these demons. And the emphasis mm. seems to be that these don't exist or they're not gods. They don't have any power. They're absolutely powerless. Okay, what other references are there in the Old Testament? So the, the other... And I think it's the only other use of this word okay. sedim in the Old Testament is in the Psalms, and it's in Psalm 106, so verse 34. So uh, Psalm 106, verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. So I think the context of this is them going into the land, and they, they didn't remove the peoples that were there. So Israel did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. So again, it's in the context of Israel's unfaithfulness to to Yahweh and learning to do what the nations and the peoples around them did and worshipping their gods and demons, god, idols of those people are, are, Mm. are again kind of treated as equivalent terms. Yeah. So in this psalm, in this reference here, it doesn't really say anything about their existence or their nature. It just almost assumes mm. what they are, really, doesn't it? Is there any way we can work out what the writer of the psalm thought? Yeah. I mean, that passage in Deuteronomy was was quite explicit. Yeah. You know, these are not gods. But if we're drawing this link between demons and the idols of the peoples around them, there are a whole load more references mm. in the Old Testament and in the Psalms, then we can look at a couple, that refer to idols and what the authors of the Old Testament's view was 
of those those idols. So just going back a few psalms to Psalm 96, where we read in verse 5 of Psalm 96, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So they're worthless. And, you know, they're talked about as just objects of silver and gold, the work of human hands. Maybe Isaiah 44 mm. is worth a quick look. Verse 13 through to 15 talks about a carpenter who takes a piece of wood and shapes it into the figure of a man. He cuts down Caesars. He chooses a, a cypress or an oak, and then it becomes fuel for a man. And he takes part of it and burns it to warm himself. Mm. And then he takes another part of it and carves it into into a figure and, and worships it. And it's mockery, mm. really, mm. for why people worshipping these things that that are just yeah. objects and they have no power and people are putting trust in them. And there's quite a lot of ridicule of the idea of worshipping these things because the implication is they can't mm. do anything. They can't walk, they can't talk, mm. they can't protect you, as as that passage in, in, in Deuteronomy said. But in some ways, and we saw a little bit of that in, in those Psalms and in Deuteronomy, because people believe in them, the way the writers of the Old Testament talk about them, they talk about them as though they exist, as though they have feelings. They will be humiliated. They will mm. tremble. They will be put to shame. Mm. Well, you know, they, they don't have any mm. real existence. So how can they have those feelings? But it's an important idea to get our heads around because it's helpful when we come to the mm. New Testament that even though it makes it clear that these things have no power, you know, they're ridiculed as just objects of wood or stone or, you know, silver and gold. And yet, because people, because they have a hold over people and people are putting their trust in them, they're also talked about as though they, as though they exist, as though they have those feelings, you know, mm. as a way of demonstrating that they will be that they do have yeah. the power. No, that's really interesting. And it makes me think of Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal when he you know, cries, mm. calls to them, <laughs> cry, you know, why don't you shout louder, cry louder, you know, perhaps yeah. he's perhaps yeah. he's sleeping, <laughs> perhaps he's gone on a long journey. And it, and it yeah. yeah. Or relieving yes, yourself. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, it's a way, it's a device, isn't it? Of, of demonstrating that yeah. they're, they're not real. And and, it, and it's like, you know, this mockery yeah. in Isaiah of, of the idol. Of course, the, the worshippers of the idol didn't think the bit of wood was the god, no. did they? They weren't that stupid, as it were. They thought that no. it was representing <laughs> a god or yeah. some spiritual being that they're trying to worship. But it, by putting it in this rhetorical device like this, it's showing that all they are doing is worshipping a, a piece of wood because mm. there is no real yeah. power behind. So, yeah. yeah, that's really helpful, actually. So those two examples of demons then in the Old Testament basically yeah. connect it to the the gods of the nations and to idolatry, to idol worship, and it, it, it sort of de-emphasizes any kind of literal existence and really elevates the fact that they're insignificant, they are worthless, they are powerless, there's, there's irrelevance basically to them. They, If you yeah. believe in Yahweh, you can ignore these things because they have yeah. no power. So... Is there any sense in which these these demons in the Old Testament exist? Just in the sense that we've alluded to in what we've just said, there is a sort of virtual existence 
but it's only in the minds or the imagination of those that think mm. they exist. And and because they think they exist in that sense, they, they have power over people. You know, people in those times were doing things in their lives, doing things in a particular way because of the power that mm. they thought was in these gods. So they they exist in that sort of virtual sense. And certainly that included some in Israel. They thought they existed. And that's why some of these prophets are so emphatic in their ridicule, because they're not just making an argument to be heard by the peoples around them. They're making an argument to be heard by people in Israel who are who are putting their mm. their trust in these these other gods and and are allowing them in their minds to have some power over them. And, you know, there's a couple of quotes from some scholars in a couple of Bible dictionaries. And I've chosen a couple here which are deliberately non-denominational. Okay. So the first of them is the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels. I know we haven't got to the Gospels yet, okay. but it's giving giving the background to, to what we'll look at in the Gospels. So the Dictionary of Jesus and the Gospels, which is into Varsity Press. And, and, and it says there that Israel's confidence in the sovereignty of Yahweh was not conducive to the development of a consistent demonology. Okay. So that's kind of obvious as we, where we started. If you think that there's one God, Yahweh mm. is sovereign, then you're unlikely to develop the idea of of demons as, as spiritual beings being a threat. And the other source that I'll quote from here is the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary, which is from the Yale University Press. It says their caution against using the scattered and limited references in the Old Testament as evidence for a widespread belief in demons. Most interpreters argue for a position that references both to demons themselves and to the practices associated with them seem to argue for some belief in demons at certain levels of Israelite society at certain <laughs> times. So there's, it's there. Yeah. You know, there are some people in Israel who are thinking that these gods are real and they have some power over them. But the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophet perspective is they don't exist. They don't have power. The only power they have is what you allow them to have over you in your mind or your mm. imagination. Yeah. And where it did exist, it wasn't consistent because it's yeah. limited by this strict monotheism. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's helpful. I feel like that is going to be helpful as we as we work our way forward. But before we get out of the Old Testament, there's there's something else in the Old Testament that I'm thinking of. I don't think it uses a word that's ever translated demons, but it talks about an an evil spirit. And mm. I'm thinking of King Saul, where it says about an evil spirit yeah. from God, from Yahweh. An evil spirit from God came to him, and then David yeah. had to go and play his harp to try and calm him down. Yeah. Often demon and evil spirits are sort of put together mm. in the same category. Are we talking about something similar? Well, I mean, the first thing to notice about that incident is that it is explicitly it's something from God. Mm. It's something that God has caused to happen. The mental state of Saul was, was affected either directly or indirectly. And, and it says it's from God. It, it doesn't say it's from anything no, else no, or anywhere else. And so that's consistent with the only power that is is from God. It, it doesn't reference it in a way that sounds like it's a personal being or anything like that. And when you look at commentaries around that incident, it's most often interpreted as a 
as a Saul descending into some sort of state of deep depression. Mm, okay. Some su- suggested he was bipolar <laughs> and that, that kind of thing. Okay. It, I feel like there's there's something in the word spirit that is often assumed that perhaps isn't mm. there. And I think way back in the archives, we've got one one episode on on the spirit, which which might might possibly be helped. So we'll we'll sort of park that to one side. So let's look yeah. at the New Testament. Then are we going to turn to the Gospels next? Well. We're nearly okay. going to get right. to the Gospels because there are a couple of references. As I say, we want to look at the references outside the Gospels before we before we get there. And there's a couple of references in the letters of Paul to okay. demons. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is the first one that we want to look at. And this is in a section where Paul is is encouraging the early believers to, to essentially dedicate themselves to to God and to, to, to Jesus and, and to worship of them and not to participate in activities associated with, you know, sacrifices made to the Roman gods mm. or, or, or Greek gods of the time. So in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 18, it says, Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger Mm. than he? So again, in the context... It's eating food or taking food that has been offered to mm. idols. So it's linking idol and, and demon there in the same, same passage again. It's also saying the same as what we saw in Deuteronomy. They, they are not anything. Am I saying that idols are anything? It says, no, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that the people yeah. that are offering to them think they are something. And so what I don't want you to do is participate with them because they think they're offering to something yeah, that that has has power. So it, it's a very similar message to to what we saw in in the Old Testament. An idol has no real existence. A demon is used in an interchangeable way. In chapter ten, has no real existence. But because some people think they they do exist, I don't want you to go eating that that food offered to idols or to participate mm. with that. That's interesting. That passage in one Corinthians ten. It says specifically the idol is nothing. You know, whether is an idol anything? No, but pagan sacrifice they offer to demons. So, you know, you could be forgiven. Perhaps I'm just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> just excuse the pun. That uh, that some people might say, well, well, the idol is nothing, but actually they are sacrificing to demons. So, so do not do this. But then I think reading on, it's exactly what you're saying, isn't it? Then he goes on to explain practically what this means, and he means well, verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions. But if someone says, this has been mm. offered in sacrifice, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, so for his conscience. Not So it's it is it, mm. it's to do with how you present yourself to, to them because they will have yeah. that belief and they'll yeah. think, oh, this this Christianity can can go and participate in, you know, multi-god worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's really similar to Deuteronomy 32, isn't it? And there's something elsewhere, I think, in the letter to Timothy... And in 1 Timothy yeah. 4, 
that there's this other passage that uses uses demons. So 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, just read this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So there's something else there. Um, yeah, and that, that's an interesting one. Given what we've seen from the rest of scriptures so far on demons and idols and their their non-existence other than in a sort of virtual sense in, in people's imagination, there's here a prediction that some within the Christian community would depart from the faith and devote themselves to doctrines of, of demons mm. or doctrines about demons and maybe be encouraging believers to, to be engaged in some form of worship of, of not just God and Jesus, but other things, whatever that may be. And so it's interesting that here in the first century, that statement is made, you know, and there may be people today who are very much placing a great deal of emphasis on concern about being mm. afraid of fighting demons. Mm. And if, if somebody's theology is placing a heavy em emphasis on the existence of such beings that we have to be afraid of and ward them off and in some way then it's it's likely according to mm. this that they've departed from the faith they've got something out of kilter mm. in their theology yeah, interesting Yeah, okay. So there's probably a couple more other references in the New Testament, but I think we really need to get to the Gospels. So so let's so taking a step back, we've looked in the Old Testament and seen that really the emphasis there is that the, the, the demons and their connection with the idols and, and the gods of the nations are that they're really powerless. They they do nothing, they, they don't exist and there's nothing to be afraid of because we worship Yahweh and and that's the kind of thing we're seeing in Corinthians and then that that warning in Timothy mm. about about really you know chasing after doctrines of, of demons and and so so that that seems all straightforward it kind of fits with what we've come to look at and mm. understand the devil and Satan you know it's de-emphasizing any kind of spiritual being or spiritual beings that are associated with these words but what on earth do we do with the Gospels then? You know, because we get to the to the Gospels, which we've avoided so far, and we've got to deal with. And we find, you know, Jesus performing miracles. He does healing. He makes food. He does all this. And he casts out demons. That's the way it's described. Right. So just for example, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him. So we, we read that, and if we hadn't done any of the, the work we've done so far, it was just, it's plain on the page, isn't it, surely, that, you know, how do we understand Jesus and dealing with demons yeah, yeah and I, I don't want it to sound too much as though we're we're fighting shy of dealing with what's here in the gospels because it, these are the accounts of the life of jesus yeah. they're pretty important to us and i think when we get our heads around perhaps what's going on here we can fully embrace we don't need to be afraid of what's here or uncertain about what's meant when we look at the gospels we've got the three synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the word demons, as in the example that you read out from Matthew, is is used in the context of miracles of healing. Mm -hmm. 
and particularly examples which sound like things like epilepsy or schizophrenia or something like that. So there's another example in Mark chapter 5 where the one that was called Legion was, was cured of whatever was afflicting him and whatever it was went into this herd of pigs and they went careering off a cliff. And uh, and after that event, you know, people in the town surrounding came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So in his right mm. mind, there's something okay. something to do with his, his mind, his, his mental state. And even in that one that you quoted from Matthew, you know, those that are afflicted with diseases and pains, those that are oppressed by demons those having seizures and paralytics. And so there's a different class of illness or yeah. affliction in those those oppressed by demons. So that appears in the Synoptic Gospels. So when John records miracles, he doesn't say anything about demons okay. being the source mm. of the problem. So given everything that we've seen so far, with devil and Satan not being personal beings, demons, when they're referred to in the Old Testament and in other parts of the New Testament outside the Gospels, not being anything, not being attributed any existence. You know, one way to understand the appearance of demons in the Gospels is that these illnesses that are, that are cured are illnesses that people didn't understand mm. and and are therefore attributed to a hidden force or, or a spirit being or or demon in this way. So that's one way of understanding it. Yeah, okay. So, so it's using language of the time, ways that people would have understood. Jesus is is engaging with people who who had this cultural background, and just remembering where Jesus is accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons. I think is the reference to Beelzebul, isn't mm. there? So, surely that's partly acknowledging their existence. Surely there is some level of belief that people had because this is so so mm. widespread in the gospels but but that's an interesting thing as well isn't it that we haven't seen it particularly in the old testament at all and there's no sort mm. of exorcisms or casting out of demons in the yeah. old testament and suddenly we have this here in the gospels and then a little bit in in the yeah. acts as well don't we yeah. does that mean people had were now believing in this sort of thing yeah i think that is a feature of of this and why it suddenly appears in in the gospels it suddenly seems to spring out of Mm. nowhere because it's just not there in the old testament there's several hundred years between the last part of the old testament and the and the gospels so there's there's quite a lot that's happened to the people of israel in in their land in that in that period one of which is a period of persian occupation and it does seem as though and scholars and commentators on it acknowledge that an increase in the belief in evil spirits, demons of and things of that nature develop under Persian influence mm. in the Jewish mindset, if you like. So just a couple of quotations on that from, first of all, from a book by Giza Vermes, and he wrote a book called Jesus mm-hmm. the Jew, which is really about the Jewish context of Jesus and understanding him in that context. So he writes, in the world of Jesus, the devil was believed to be the basis of sickness as well as sin. So we saw that in the last episode. The idea that demons were responsible for all moral and physical evil had penetrated deeply into the Jewish religious thought in the period following the Babylonian exile, no doubt as a result of Iranian or Persian influence on Judaism in the 5th and 4th centuries BC, when Palestine, as well as the Jews from the Eastern Diaspora, were subject to direct Persian rule. Okay. So that's where he suggests it comes from. And then the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary 
says that the reports of demonic activity and exorcism in the New Testament are subject to various considerations by different scholars. One interpretation views the phenomenon as a first century understanding of what would be known today as a psychological problem. So what the ancients called demonization would be diagnosed as psychoses. And then he says representatives of this view include, and he lists the the scholars, and then gives a couple of other, other views, including saying still others maintain that the concept of demons actually existing is not incompatible with a modern cosmology. So it gives the primary interpretation is that these phenomena are a first century way of understanding what we would understand today as as psychological illnesses or psychoses. Okay. And the the language or the the categories for understanding that and describing it comes properly from influence mm. from sort of Persian influence and that would explain yeah. why it's in the gospels and not before. So that makes sense, but I mean there's that nagging question, you know, why does Jesus sort of act as if these things are really there, you yeah. know, that that seems a bit a bit strange, isn't it? You mentioned yeah. Legion, you know, he he sort of in in talking to this this character and and does something with the pigs, you know, puts the demons in the mm. pigs or something happens and and they run down the mountainside and so he's not arguing with people, he's not trying to tell them, you know, these aren't demons. Why doesn't he just make it clear? Yeah, and it's a really good question. And partly if if Jesus had gone into arguing that, you know, Legion you're not suffering from some evil spirit or some mm. demon. How does that help no, that's him? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> he's, still, mm. he's still got a big problem. So, and actually, I, the answer to this is really an extension of what we've seen in the Old Testament, where even though there's an acknowledgement that these idols, whatever they are, don't really exist, don't have any power, they're still talked about as though they are, as though they do exist in, and they have feelings because of the power that they have over people in their imagination. And I, I think it is just an extension of that idea. You know, Jesus is accommodating. He's communicating in a language that, that people understand. And he doesn't directly go into an argument about their existence or their non-existence. What he does is something that is much more powerful. You know, he heals mm. them and demonstrates that the power of God is is, is able to resolve this problem, whatever it is, as part of persuading people to trust God and to trust him as God's representative, as God, God's son, he heals them. So whatever people think they are, and they may continue to think whatever they thought they were, but they come away knowing that God, the one God, and through Jesus, his son, has the power to overcome mm. them. So they no longer need to fear their power. Mm. And that's a much more effective way of destroying the hold in people's imaginations that these things have over people rather than going into an, an attempt to argue mm. that they don't exist. Cause I, I don't even know how he would no. have done that. <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. That, that makes me think of Elijah again, you know, on the top of Mount Carmel mm. didn't explain to the prophets of Baal that, you know, he's, he's not actually going to respond because he doesn't exist. It, yeah. The the way yeah. of demonstrating that was through his taunts of them, and then actually God showed and proved it by by bringing the fire down. So yeah, that, no, that's mm-hmm. that's useful. Okay, so I suppose the question then is, you know, should we as Christians uh, should we be attributing any existence in in any sense to to demons? That that's the you know the bottom line. Well, I think having started with what we saw in the Old Testament and in the other references in in the New Testament, you know, it, it's pretty clear that. Any move in a in a Christian belief set or theology towards you know, believing in these kind of beings 
is is pretty much prohibited by those references. Mm. You know, the, in one Corinthians ten, they're not anything, and the, the departure from the from the faith that is likely to be associated with with doctrines to do with demons. So, mm. I, no, I don't no. think we should be attributing or giving them any any space in our theological yeah. system. Okay. Right. It seems to me like there's two options, aren't there? We've built the framework around, without looking at the Gospels, we've built a framework from monotheism and the fact that mm. they're attributed to the idols. They don't mean anything. They don't have power. We've looked at all of that. And then we come to the Gospels and we've got a choice. We either reinterpret what we've seen with the evidence from the Gospels and taking that literally, which I think would be really hard to do, actually, to take the mm. Gospels' accounts and then somehow change what all these other passages mean and that view of monotheistic religion. Mm. Or we do it the other way around, like we've said, and and interpret what's going on in the Gospels as Jesus demonstrating God's power over whatever mm. they think these things were. And I, I suppose if we've, we sort of get into some sort of conclusion then, what would be the relevance today? Uh, there was that mention from that, was it Anchor Yale mm. Bible Dictionary about the different understanding and today we'd, we'd understand things like this as, as psychosis. So, so how do we as Christians deal with all this today and understand these things? I mean, I think we can take the, the fundamental point from both Old Testament and New Testament, which is that demons as actual personal beings are not something that Christians should be concerned or afraid about. You know, there's one God, there's only one power, and that's all we need. That That's end of story, really. You know, references to demons outside of the Gospels are clearly in the context of idols of other peoples around them that the scriptures say are not gods, they have no existence. You know, references to demons in the context of healing, such as the Gospels, do reflect the first century culture that derived from Persian influence, that you know, these kind of spirits caused illnesses that, that they couldn't explain. And today we would understand many of those as psychological or mental illnesses. And we can read the Gospels and understand them in, in that way. And certainly we should avoid imagining into existence, mm -hmm. into a sort of virtual existence in our minds, beings uh, uh, and give them kind of hold or, or power or some kind of sway mm. over us. But even today, you know, people in mm. with certain faith backgrounds mm. or in growing up in different cultures around the world may still find it hard to accept that there are not evil spirits out there. And, and even if you find it hard, you know, we could, the main point is not their existence, really. Mm. The main point is the reality of the one God, and he is the only source of power, and be comforted by that. You know, And if we trust that and his power, even to raise the dead, as he demonstrated with Jesus, then nothing can harm mm. us. Nothing can remove us from the scope of that that power and that love. And, and that just pushes anything else into irrelevance and ultimately non-existence even in mm. our imagination okay great that's really a good place to to end up so we're left with a, a sort of situation where we're not constantly on the lookout waging spiritual warfare mm. against forces we've not got this conflict yeah. theology we're consistently in a monotheistic framework and that's really really helpful i think that was our tangent to sort of go off a little bit onto onto demons <laughs> but if you mentioned deuteronomy 32 we looked a little bit at that and that's more we need to go down i think i'm mindful yeah. that we in these three episodes now that we've done that we we haven't gone to the book of job or really in, in detail looked at satan in the book of job so we need to look at that don't we yeah the sons of god and there's a whole thing about 
spiritual beings just generally, isn't there? In the context of, yeah, sons of God, fallen angels. So I think think that's something else we need to just think through and and give it a bit of space (laughs) and work out what what we think about that. But that's for another time. You'll be glad to know. So uh, let's, let's sign off here. Hopefully that's useful. Thank you very much, Paul, leading us through that. And uh, as ever, head over to biblefeed.org and uh, see what we're doing. And uh, by all means, get in touch if you have any comments or questions. Thank you.